fourth watch starts now. Listening to the Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Kapow Radio Network. I hope everyone is having a blessed week. We've got a great show for you tonight. We'll be finishing up the Hollow Earth Adventure with Part Three of the trilogy as we explore the major classified invasion of Antarctica that is said to have included UFOs, extraterrestrials, Nazis, and space weapons that had never been seen before. All following the alleged ending of World War II. Submitted for the approval of the Kapow Radio Network, I call this episode Hollow Earth Part 3, Operation High Jump. So we've had an interesting couple of weeks as we've delved into a strange area of history involving supernatural and paranormal alien behavior and technology. We've learned some accounts made by government officials and even military personnel. We definitely have a plethora of things to cover tonight, but as all my regular listeners know, I usually like to get the adventure started by sharing some interesting and mysterious facts. Last week I mentioned the Nazi medium, Maria Orsich, who was also a member of the inner circle of the Tully Society known as the Vril Society. She was said to have boarded a UFO with Hitler and others and traveled to a dimension known as Aldebaran back in 1945. There are pictures of a young woman who looks identical to her, showing her at the same age and beauty as she was back in the 40s. These pictures show her traveling around the world and hanging out with a man named Supreme Rockefeller, who has ties to federal government alien and UFO research, and he's also an Illuminati member and an active player in the formation of the One World Government. These are all things we mentioned last week, but I'm bringing us back up to speed. So the theory states that Maria Orsich left our dimension in 1945, but there seems to be many credible researchers that are claiming that it is actually the same woman that we've seen traveling around the world today. A few days after last week's show aired, I received an email from Linda Kapow. Many of you know Linda, and we know she is a woman of God who has a heart for ministry and a sheer desire to share the truth and expose lies. I have to warn you folks, this story is chilling. After Linda heard last week's show, she felt compelled to tell me a personal story that she rarely shares with anyone. She wrote this into an email. She wrote, I want to share something with you, Justin. It was during the time that Paul, which is her husband, was engrossed in the UFO phenomenon and had some sort of experience with those blinky lights. One night he saw something in the sky and he called me out to see it. After that, I heard a woman's voice in the night when I was in bed. She called out my name and told me that I was to receive a gift and that she would return with that gift. I didn't feel fear or anything like that and I figured if it was from the Lord, then cool. But if it wasn't from the Lord, that I would rebuke it. I told Paul about the experience and he didn't seem too bothered by it. So we just left it in the Lord's hands. Then the following night, Paul was awakened from his sleep and he threw his arm over me, which woke me up in a fright. He looked at me with fear and yelled, Ah! And I screamed. Then he told me that he heard the woman's voice call out my name. He said, I heard her. I heard her call out your name. 
And at that very moment, he repented of his UFO fascination, and we rebuked this entity and the words she spoke to us. I rejected the gift she wanted to bring me. We prayed God's protection over us. I mean, it was so creepy. It gets more creepy. After that experience, I had two visions before going to bed. They weren't close to one another, nor were they directly after the horror experience either. But just before I closed my eyes to go to sleep, I saw a woman in my mind staring at me. It was vivid and lasted long enough for me to get a good look at her before fading. She had the Mona Lisa smile, with long blonde hair flowing and she was dressed in blue. I couldn't tell at the time if she was underwater or in the sky. She looked like an angel, but I knew she was evil. She was very beautiful. I believed she was the woman that called out my name. I saw her twice. She didn't say anything, but she just looked at me. During some research I was doing, I came across Maria Orsich, and when I saw her photo, I nearly went into shock. It was that same face I saw in my two visions. No mistake about it, and no one can convince me otherwise. It was that face. Is that weird or what? I don't know how this all works or what it means, if this Maria person is an alien hybrid or how this would relate to the hollow earth theories. I'm not sure, Justin. All I know is what I experienced and that face of Maria Orsich is what I saw and I saw it before I even heard of her. Now, folks, that was total confirmation of the fact that this entity known as Maria Orsich is alive and well and she's extremely active. And she came to Linda, surrounding a UFO phenomenon outside of her and Paul's home in California. I realize I just referred to her as an entity, because we really don't know what's going on here. Again, we're faced with something that totally defies logic. I have a couple theories about this. First of all, I thought what Linda thought. Maria was a Nephilim hybrid, or some kind of product of a demonic science. Then I pondered what the chances were that she was transformed somehow, through the crossing through dimensions. I know that sounds laughable, but we don't understand all the powers that Satan has on this earth for the time being. As we approach the end of the age, we're going to be seeing more and more of these phenomenons that just blow our mind. Obviously, if this theory were true, she would only have these abilities in this strange form until the day of judgment before Yeshua when she will be damned. Now, the third possible theory I had is tying back to the first, demonic sciences. Now, these sciences could have possibly done something involving cloning. Now, as strange as this sounds, this will lead us into the direction of our main topic. When the Nazis fled Germany as the Third Reich was seeming to fall at the end of World War II, they traveled to South America first on their way to Antarctica. A strong network of SS members and soldiers set up shop in different locations of South America and even continued practicing. One of those was the famous doctor and anthropologist Joseph Mangala. Mangala was known for his mad scientist experimentations at Auschwitz, where he did all kinds of strange practices with DNA and genetics. He is rumored to have successfully cloned people and even advanced into the genetic code of twins. We learned last week that the Third Reich had much help in their sciences and technology by extraterrestrials, according to Dr. Werner von Braun. So it's not a major shock that Joseph Mangala was advanced in his field of genetics. Some believe that Mangala's science was used with certain members of the SS, possibly even involving a change in the DNA makeup of Maria Orsich. We truly don't know what's the story with Orsich, but we definitely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's something extremely demonic that's still going on today involving Maria Orsich. 
But Mangala continued his practices in South America up until his death in 1979 off the coast of Brazil. They say he was fleeing from capture and he drowned. An Argentinian historian claims Mangala went on with his experiments in hiding, causing a sharp increase in the birth of twins in a small Brazilian town. According to Jorge Camarasa, who was investigating the flight of Nazis to Latin America after World War II, Mangala often visited the town of Candido Godoy in the Paraguay-Brazilian border. Under the name of Rudolf Weiss, it is claimed, Mangala initially provided veterinary services. Later, he began treating people. He had a special interest in fertility, he says, and he tended to pregnant women and claimed he could perform artificial insemination. Anencia Flores da Silva, former mayor of Candido Godoy, recalled he appeared to be some sort of rural medic who went from house to house. He attended women who had varicose veins and gave them a potion which he carried in a bottle or tablets which he brought with him. Over the years, one pregnancy in five produced twins in the town compared with an average of one in 80. The town's crest shows two identical profiles, and a road sign welcomes visitors to a farming community and land of the twins. There is also a museum of twins. I think Candido Godoy may have been Mangala's laboratory, where he finally managed to fulfill his dreams of creating a master race of blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryans, Jorge Camarasa said. And the fact is, most Candido Godoy residents now believe that the notorious Nazi doctor definitely had a hand in the peculiar demographics of the town. As crazy as this sounds, folks, there were Aryan-looking twins popping up, coming out of this town. And there was an abundance of them. This has actually even been covered by the New York Post. And the National Geographic even did a documentary on this strange phenomenon that produced Aryan-looking twins out of native Spanish civilians. That's very unusual. But it's just more proof of the Nazis' flight from Germany and Antarctica by way of South America. Many of you are familiar with the rich history of giants in South America. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Patagonian giants, they were a race of giants that lived in the very tip of South America. If you look at the tip of South America, there's what appears to be a subterranean arc of land or a mountain range that runs from South America under the continent of Antarctica, which is just a strange geographical connection between these two continents. Antarctica is an interesting continent. It's roughly the size of Europe. Before it became frozen, it had a theorized unique presence. That's right, folks. I said before it became frozen. I'm sure that got your attention. It wasn't until the 1500s that the Piri Reese map showed the historical mapping of an Antarctica as an ice-free continent. And this even dates back to the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were a seafaring people. They made many maps on their journeys. So based on the Piri Reese map, we see Antarctica is a normal continent, which would be lush and deciduous, and it would not have any ice over it. So it hasn't historically always been frozen. This is a fact. Then on top of that, we have the theories that the opening entrances at the poles lead to the inner earth, which is believed to be the origin and habitation of the Aryan race. And again, folks, this is tying us right back to the Aryan Nordics that Admiral Byrd described in his diary that were in the inner earth. All right, I want to quickly give a recap of where we left off last week. World War II was seemingly coming to an end, at least as far as the public was concerned, and Hitler was said to have committed suicide. I can even attest that growing up in public school, I was always taught that Hitler killed himself. But last week, we brought forth many testimonies from presidents and high-ranking world leaders that stated to the contrary, including the testimony of our own former president, Dwight D. Eisenhower. So as the story goes, Hitler and his chief advisors escaped the last days of the Third Reich by boarding a submarine, a U-boat, and escaping to Argentina. 
They then established a base for advanced saucer-shaped aircraft inside the Earth, but more specifically in the hole at the South Pole, Antarctica. It's believed that they discovered this entrance to the Earth's interior during their previous expedition. Now, after the war, the Allies discovered that more than 2,000 scientists from Germany and Italy had vanished, along with almost a million people. And they believed that they had vanished to the land beyond the South Pole, also known as Antarctica. It's easy to forget that Hitler and his followers were adamant about their beliefs and their cause, but this was their legacy in their own minds. So the fact is, it's pretty feasible to think that a multitude made their way to Antarctica as part of what we'll call Plan B to continue their legacy. So there's now an alleged civilization of occultist Nazis living and colonizing inside the hollow earth, continuing the legacy of the Thule and Vril societies along with other practices. Now, this would not exactly go down well with the other government powers of the world especially since the main motive of World War II was to defeat the Third Reich. So there's now a continued motive for war, drawing an invasion of Antarctica with a strong united military force. Now folks, this would basically be considered a continuation of World War II per se. Not to backtrack here, but we all need to be on the same page as we continue the adventure. We covered so much information last week, it's just important that we kind of brushed up on that just to kind of bring you back up where we are now. The civilization of escaped Nazis has apparently been establishing inside the earth in Antarctica in the years now 1947. Admiral Richard E. Byrd led 4,000 military troops from the U.S., Britain, and Australia in an invasion of Antarctica called Operation High Jump and at least one follow-up expedition. That is fact. It is undeniable. But the part of the story that is seldom told, at least in the official circles, is that Byrd and his forces encountered heavy resistance to their Antarctic venture from flying saucers and had to call off the invasion. This aspect of the story was pushed forward again just a few years ago when a retired rear admiral, allegedly living in Texas, who had been involved in the invasion, said he was shocked when he read material from a documentary entitled Fire from the Sky. He allegedly claimed that he knew there had been a lot of aircraft and rocket shootdowns, but he wasn't really aware of all the other information that was detailed. But because of this information, he was able to put two and two together pretty quickly, and he was able to make more sense of the events that he encountered after being exposed to the documentary materials. We don't have a diary of Admiral Byrd detailing his experiences in Operation High Jump, unfortunately. But what we do have are many accounts that have surfaced over the years and as we'll see in a few minutes, there are some accounts by leaders of the invasion that began to leak that cost at least one man his life. Operation High Jump, which was an invasion of the Antarctic, consisted of three naval battle groups, which departed Norfolk, Virginia on December 2nd, 1946. They were led by Admiral Richard E. Byrd's command ship, as well as a large fleet of other warships, as well as crafts, machines, and tools for war. So we're dealing here with a major invasion of warships that are clearly set out to war. You don't send warships of this massive fleet out for an expedition that has to do with coal mining. A British-Norwegian force and a Russian force, and I also believe there were some Australian and Canadian forces that were also involved in this. But here's where the story gets interesting. The USS Pine Island was one of the ships that was part of the fleet. This ship was removed from the Navy register on an unknown date. The ship's final disposition is unknown. Now, how does one go about losing a major surface ship over 640 feet long, almost 70 feet wide, 
with a displacement of over 15,000 tons. The story, of course, still gets stranger. The Pine Island is not the only ship involved in Antarctic research or exploration to have disappeared. There were numerous others, so what happened to the ships that went missing? There were major battles that included UFOs coming up out of the Earth and even out of the Arctic water that were equipped with alien weaponry that shot energy beams that cut right through ships and planes. It was a technology that the armies of the world had never experienced before. It quickly overpowered the forces that initiated the invasive war. This was an incredibly unexpected outcome. On March 5, 1947, the El Mercurio newspaper of Santiago, Chile had a headline article titled, On Board the Mount Olympus on the High Seas, which quoted Admiral Byrd in an interview with Lee Van Otta. It reads, Admiral Byrd declared today that it was imperative for the United States to initiate immediate defense measures against hostile regions. Furthermore, Byrd stated that he didn't want to frighten anyone unduly, but that it was a bitter reality that in case of a new war, the continental United States would be attacked by flying objects which could fly from pole to pole at incredible speeds. Interestingly, not long before he made these comments, the Admiral had recommended defense bases at the North Pole. These were not isolated remarks, folks. Admiral Byrd later repeated both of these points of view, resulting from what he described as his personal knowledge, which he gathered both at the North and South Poles, before a news conference held for International News Service. Upon returning to the United States, Admiral Byrd was hospitalized and was not allowed to hold any more press conferences. He had already said too much to the public, as he felt it was his duty to tell the truth as a warning of things that could be a major threat to life as we know it. He was involved in other expeditions, but was silenced by the government powers continuously for a few more years leading up to the end of his life. He died shortly following his final expedition. Many have suggested that he was murdered because he began leaking information about his supernatural and paranormal encounters with UFOs and extraterrestrials. We don't really have proof of this. What we do know is that towards the end of his life, he began talking. He even released his diary explaining what happened at the North Pole. So we have no reason to doubt the fact that he could have been killed, but we don't have proof exactly. Now, many people were wondering who the enemy combatants were. Who were these people that owned and flew these flying objects or these UFOs that were spoken of by Admiral Byrd? Germany was apparently defeated, and there was no evidence that the new emerging enemy, Russia, had such superior technologies. They were just like the United States, only on the verge of the rocket age, and totally dependent upon the technology and expertise which was captured from Germany at the end of the war. There was no other known threat that could account for the United States invasion of Antarctica, nor for the development of any craft that could fly from pole to pole with incredible speeds. So people were perplexed when they caught wind of this international news that Admiral Byrd was talking about. Of course, the Roswell incident had been in the news the past summer, but it had been quote-unquote officially explained and hushed up by the time that High Jump began. So rumors began to circulate that even though Germany had been defeated, a selection of military personnel and scientists had fled the fatherland as Allied troops swept across mainland Europe and established themselves at a base in Antarctica from where they continued to develop advanced aircraft based on extraterrestrial technologies. So the truth we know today, it isn't a newfound theory. Even back in the days of Admiral Byrd's press releases, many intelligent individuals were connecting the dots many individuals were realizing what was really going on despite the lies and cover-ups that the government was pushing. As we mentioned previously, after the war, the Allies discovered that more than 2,000 scientists from Germany and Italy had vanished. 
totally unaccounted for, along with almost a million people, to the land beyond the South Pole, to Antarctica. And to add to that, there were a hundred U-boats unaccounted for as well. This would be quite a population base for a fledging colony, and it would definitely provide the essential degree of skill, expertise, and even manpower for an industrial base of any sort, let alone the production of, even by today's standards, extremely high technology. When we're dealing with this many people and this many scientists that are just unaccounted for, and they all seem to disappear from one area, and, and the theory says they are now in Antarctica practicing their previous craft, practicing their, their previous research. This is enough people to literally set up shop and continue with what we would might even call a Fourth Reich. This is unbelievable to consider this many people continuing their civilization there. This is more than enough to take their civilization and completely repopulate. Let me mention one thing about the U-boats. A hundred U-boats missing. The U-boats, for those of you who don't know, it was a high-grade submarine of its time. And it could go across the world, under the water, undetectable, totally untraceable. People would have no idea that people were traveling in the U-boats. I mean, it was a spy ship, basically. And to consider a 100 U-boats traveling, there's no telling how much stuff could have been taken back and forth from the Third Reich to Antarctica. Now, all UFO researchers are, of course, aware of the multitude of reports concerning sightings of flying saucers with swastikas or iron crosses on them. Also, aliens speaking German or having a German or Nordic accent. These are reports that have surfaced all over the world, folks. Most have also heard of alleged abductees who have been taken to underground bases with swastika emblems on the walls, or as in the case of the noted abductee Alex Christopher, have seen reptiloids, as he called them, and Nazis working together aboard anti-gravity craft or within underground bases. Barney Hill was apparently not the only one to describe the so-called Nazi connection to UFO abductions. However, reports such as Christopher's and Hill's must be taken with a grain of salt. Another noted example is the American Reinhold Schmidt, a man whose father was born in Germany and who tells in his book Incident at Kearney that he was taken on a flying saucer on several occasions. Schmidt states that the crew spoke German and acted like German soldiers. He also stated that they took him to the polar region. In 1959, three large newspapers in Chile reported front-page articles about unidentified flying object encounters in which the crew members appeared to be German soldiers. This is just showing us, folks, this is happening all over the world. These aren't just American or European accounts. This is happening in South America. This is happening in Chile. In the early 1960s, there were reports in New York and New Jersey of flying saucer aliens who spoke German or English with a German accent. Nor can it be neglected to mention that in one of the most spectacular legal cases of the 20th century, the atomic espionage trials, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg spoke of, quote-unquote, warships of space. Since they had access to top-secret information, and at that point no reason to lie, what was it exactly that they meant, warships of space? Now, back to Operation High Jump. The mission that had been expected to last for eight months came to an early and faltering end after the immense battles and encounters with alien technology and weaponry and much loss of life and equipment. The Chilean press reported that the mission had run into trouble and that there had been many fatalities. Of course, the official record states that only one plane crashed, killing three men. A fourth man had perished on the ice. Two helicopters had gone down, although their crew had been rescued and a task force commander was nearly lost. So that's the official story. That's how they told the public everything went down. 
Now, it's funny how ships and crafts disappeared mysteriously off the military equipment logs and records after the return of the survivors of Operation High Jump, since the official story is so simple and to the point. But regardless of the official story, we do have many personal accounts of the encounters in Antarctica that did survive the invasion. And folks, that's where we get the most reliable understanding of the polar invasion. In the end, the task force came steaming back to the United States with their data, which then immediately became classified top secret. Secretary of the Navy, by this time he was Secretary of Defense, James Forrestal, had retired and started to talk openly. Not only about high jump, but about other things, about other topics as well. He was put in Bethesda Naval Hospital psychiatric ward where he was prevented from seeing or talking to anyone, including his wife. And after a short while, he was thrown out of the window while trying to hang himself with a bedsheet. So the story goes. It was, of course, ruled a suicide. Case closed. No questions asked. It's funny how when people start exposing information, people who were involved in the government cover-ups, and they decide to talk finally, they mysteriously die. They either die of a suicide or a bad car crash or their personal airplane goes down, or, of course, you have some kind of mysterious poisoning which causes them to go into cardiac arrest. There's so many stories of government officials with these weird deaths, and they all have one thing in common. They either asked too many questions, or they started talking about classified information. So, of course, this was ruled a suicide. However, some of what he knew about Operation High Jump, and about the Roswell incident, and about other things, did manage to leak, and most researchers believe that he and Admiral Byrd were in fact murdered in an attempt to silence their talking lips. Both men had a strong drive to share their encounters with the public, but the powers to be were bent on keeping the secrets classified. Now, the fact is, folks, there's a large volume of evidence available for all to see who want to see it. The Germans explored and even claimed part of Antarctica on the very eve of the war when the vast majority of their activity was geared towards the rebuilding of the German economy. And the rebuilding of the German economy also included building up their military infrastructure under the Third Reich. This activity began shortly before the recovery of what's known as the Bavarian Flying Disc in 1938. Now this is interesting. Apparently there was a flying disc that crashed in Bavaria in 1938, and I had never heard about this. So I'm not sure how many of you listening tonight have heard about this, but we're going to take us out with this fascinating historical account that many of you are probably unaware of. We know that a large number of Nazis that fled from Germany to Antarctica were in fact scientists and engineers, and their dedication sprang from the project on which they were working before the war. So, in order for us to understand their dedication, it's necessary that we go back before the outbreak of the Second World War to an isolated section of the Bavarian Alps. It was there in the summer of 1938 that a UFO, said to have been crewed by a distinctly human and an Aryan-appearing race, made a forced landing. Now, this wasn't exactly a crash. It was a forced landing. Some call it a crash. But what really sticks out about this is, according to German writings and the accounts that took place in Bavaria, they said that the UFO was piloted by a distinctly human and Aryan-appearing race. So we had two different races in the UFO, allegedly. I don't quite understand that, and it's just an interesting statement that was made. But we're going to get back to that in just a second. The Bavarian crash of 1938 seems to have yielded a functioning or almost functioning and repairable power plant 
and a nearly completely destroyed or unrepairable airframe. So although the airframe was unrepairable, what they were left with was a functioning power plant or a power plant that they were able to work on and fix. What really sticks out about this is in learning about the Vril Society, one of their goals was to perfect an alien technology power source. Basically a power source that could power the UFOs, power different types of machines, weapons, just a power source in general that was alien technology that was not going to go away. Basically, it was like no other resource that the Earth had ever heard about. So for them to be able to get their hands on this functioning or repairable power plant, this was a big deal to the Third Reich because this is right in line with what they had been asking for and all of their occult scientists, what they had been working towards. So this, along with the craft and the Roswell crash, would explain the vast array of experimental aircraft of extremely unique design to literally pour out of the design bureaus in the period between 1939 and 1945. The most notable, of course, is the Sanger Flying Wing, which was later copied by the United States and is, of course, the ancestor of today's stealth bomber and fighter designs, notably the B-2 Heavy Bomber. It is also beyond doubt that both unidentified flying object recoveries are the initial impetus for the long-standing and ongoing research in the anti-gravity propulsion seen in work of current aircraft manufacturers such as Boeing and Lockheed in the United States and Panavia in Europe. So after these things took place, after both accounts of the crafts coming down to Earth, one was a crash, one was a forced landing, we have the beginning of a whole new science and technology in our aircrafts for military execution. This is unbelievable. We have technology in, in not just our government, but other governments around the world that were either based on reverse engineering or based on working with the power supply that was found in this particular UFO. One last creepy alleged fact about the Bavarian UFO crash. It's stated that the pilots of the UFO had joined forces with the Nazis and that the one of them that resembled a human ended up going with the scientists aboard the fleet of U-boats to the civilization in the Antarctica base inside the Earth. So some people say that was their most precious resource. That was the most important resource to take with them as they went to continue their program in Antarctica. They actually believed him to be a human from another planet or another dimension that cohabitated with extraterrestrial creatures since he did in fact land in a UFO with another extraterrestrial co-pilot. Now the question arises, is it possible that the human-like creature was of the same DNA makeup of Maria Orsich? Is it possible that he was a human that had already crossed dimensions and was working with a real society in order to construct a new ship that would take them and their team of Nazis into the dimension in which he came? Well, folks, it's interesting and it's fun to consider the theories, but we truly can't know what this really entails beyond certain basics that we've covered. I want to specify something real quick. Many people get confused in dealing with the thoughts of aliens and UFOs and quote-unquote other worlds. What we're discussing and what we've been discussing are not other worlds, in fact, ladies and gentlemen. We're dealing with extra-dimensionalism or interdimensionalism in spiritual realms. When we consider that, it makes it a little easier to try to fathom at least. This is an important term to come to grips with as we study the things of supernatural or paranormal nature. It's also imperative that we take a biblical approach and realize that Satan, the once high-ranking and powerful angel, is the ruler of this world. He has been granted much power in a time such as this, and the evil miracles of darkness will be getting more and more rampant 
and seen more in the open as the end times deception gets deeper and deeper. So what we're dealing with in this study is collusion between interdimensional entities, fallen angels, demons, and men who seek power, who believe they have the bloodline of the gods flowing through their very veins. And when men have such demonic delusion from the practicing of magic and their involvement with the occult, it's only expected that they give their all to fulfill their projected legacy that their entities have brought them. And let me tell you, these so-called legacies folks are all part of Satan's plan in deceiving the world as we approach the end of the age. And don't be fooled folks, all of these things are pure evidence that the beast system is already here and Satan is working overtime. It's not some prophecy that's far off in the future like so many would like to believe. I want to remind you guys in the book of Hosea where it talks about my people will perish for a lack of knowledge. It's interesting because it says my people. We're not talking about the world perishing for a lack of knowledge. We're talking about the people of God. God's people will perish for the lack of knowledge. It's so important, especially in these days, that Christians wake up to the times, that Christians wake up to what's really going on in society, in the world, in technology, because what happens, folks, is we become deceived when we don't know the truth about things. So it's not one of those topics that can just be brushed off. Oh, well, you know, that's a conspiracy theory, blah, blah, blah. No, folks. It's important that we're aware of the demonic practices going on in the world so that we know what's happening in these days. We can't just brush these things off as conspiracy theories, especially when there's so much evidence pointing to demonic activity. Folks, I don't want any of us to perish for the lack of knowledge. We are the people of God, at least most of us are, and we need to make sure that we're in God's will and that we're awake to the times. Now, we've seen that the Nazis and their occult followers were extremely diligent in acting out their beliefs, to the point of even making major history. The world is so full of men who are diligently working towards things of ungodliness and wickedness. It's such a vital time for the followers of Christ to start getting as motivated in their faith as the world seems to be with theirs. As a matter of fact, we should be far more motivated to live out our faith and calling in Christ because our beliefs are true. Our beliefs are real and our faith is alive. I want to encourage you all to be diligent in your faith in Jesus Christ Yeshua. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 2 through 7 says this, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. God's provision does not preclude our responsibility, ladies and gentlemen. There are some who believe that since God has provided everything needed for Christian life, believers should just expect Him to do everything for them. Their motto is, let go and let God. Folks, if Peter had a motto for the Christian life, it would have been more along the lines of the popular World War II song, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. <laughs> Peter knew the Christian life is a struggle in which believers need to expend the maximum effort to equip themselves with godly virtues. 
the virtues that when present in our lives produce assurance of salvation. He therefore prefaces the list of those virtues in verse 5 by saying, and besides this, the words and besides this, okay, that points us back to God's provision of salvation mentioned in verses 1 through 4. That provision is not meant to eliminate our efforts in living the Christian life, but actually to enable and encourage them. We must, says Peter, live our Christian lives by applying all diligence to develop godly virtues. So folks, we need to apply all of our diligence to develop godly virtues. Heading the list of virtues that should characterize our lives is moral excellence. The Greek term arete can also be translated virtue. In classic Greek literature, it is often referred to the ability to perform heroic deeds. It refers to the quality that makes someone or something stand out as excellent. An arete knife was one that was sharp and cut well. An arete horse was one with speed and endurance. An arete singer was one who sang well. We need to be arete believers. We need to stand out as excellent believers, excellent followers of Jesus Christ. Moral excellence, it should be noted, is not an attitude, but it's rather an action. In fact, some suggest the meaning moral energy for it. The moral energy that gives us the power to do excellent deeds. Our model for that kind of active excellence is Jesus Christ himself, who we're told in Acts 10.38 that he went about doing good. Never waver in your pursuit of excellence, folks, but rather go about doing good, following the examples set by Christ. In the words of Paul to the Thessalonians in regards to a proper spiritual walk, he said, abound more and more. Now he's referring to the ways they had learned by Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. You can go back and read this. Paul's ministry was based on teaching people how to live a life to honor God, how to live a life of faith. This is what's so awesome about Paul. Paul was so real. We Paul was transparent. We can see into the life of Paul. And he went around, he traveled around, and he taught people how to please God by godly living. And folks, we need to abound more and more in our spiritual walks, just like Paul said. I thank God for supplying everything we need to live the Christian life. So folks, ask him to help you to be more diligent to develop godly virtues in your own life. I know that's my prayer tonight for myself and for everyone listening. We need to seek after the Lord's will above ours and make it a priority in each of our lives. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior and accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, you can start anew right now and you can repent of your sins and be washed clean of all iniquity, folks. Praise God that His wrath was satisfied that wretched day but only towards those who repent and have a change of heart and a change of mind from their past sinful lives. So let today be the beginning of your communion with God, friends. If you've never entered into covenant through the shed blood of Christ, let today be that day. Praise God that we can be sharing this message with the world tonight. This is by far the most important part of the show tonight. The sharing of the real, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ Yeshua. Once and for all, ladies and gentlemen, for anyone who comes willingly. If you're thirsty, friends, come and drink of the living water that leads us to thirst no more. And that's the living water that can only be found in Jesus Christ Yeshua. Amen. 
It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website, fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com. Fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com. There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network.